Hi, welcome to Madison Bookbeat. I'm Angie Trudell-Vasquez. And I'm Devin Trudell. Today we have the pleasure of speaking with poet and writer Christina Kubasta about the collection Sheltering with Poems, Community and Connection During COVID, published by the Wisconsin Fellowship of Poets and Bent Paddle Press. Welcome, Christina. Thank you so much for having me. I would like to read your bio before we get started so everyone who is listening uh, knows who you are. C. Kubasta writes poetry, fiction, and hybrid forms. In addition to teaching, she really loves bringing people together and creating spaces to share their voices. Recent projects include serving as managing editor for Sheltering with Poems, Community and Connection During COVID, a joint project of Bent Paddle and the Wisconsin Fellowship of Poets, founding Bramble, the literary journal of the Wisconsin Fellowship of Poets, and the pop-up National Poetry Month magazine at Brain Mill Press's Voices platform. Lately, she's been exploring collaborative text and art projects on and off the page. She's on Instagram and Twitter at Cubasta the Poet. Thank you so much for joining us. And I'm excited to talk about poetry tonight. We are going to spend a nice leisurely time with poetry. And Christina, could you ground us in ceremony and poetry by reading a poem of your choice? Sure. Um, I am excited to talk about so many poems from this book. Um, It was such a wonderful project to just sort of open up and ask poets to respond in any way they wanted to to their experiences um, during COVID. Um, And so I I think this was one of your picks as well, but I I would like to read Viral Views, if that's all right, if we get started that way. That'd be great. it's um, when you see it on the po- on the page. It's a prose poem, and I have to say, I am a sucker for a prose poem. <laughs> um, and so, this poem is by Kalisa Davis, and it is called "Viral Views." Um, and each section sort of uh, spreads on the page beautifully, um, with um, often this line that begins, "I see you." So I'm just going to start reading. I see you conveniently inconvenienced convenience store workers seeking child care and immunosupport after being deemed essential workers but taking sidelines to the front line of hospital staff. The plexi, very sexy, is a nice addition to your wardrobe of wellness. I see you hardly keeping it together hardware store worker as you wonder how long it's been since your next customer washed their hands or touched their face. You read about those turning the screws, wondering if it's time to bolt from between the hammer and the anvil. I see you, liquor store lamenter, as you ring up purchases for those who have clearly gone against the grain and gathered in groups. You serve those too downtrodden by the system to have the privilege to bathe and wonder if it's an honor or a curse to help relieve their pain. I see you, grocery store savior, grateful for hours, but your hours are hours as you spend moving towers of food. Customers at peak peculiarities, thievery thriving, and still you pray for cleanliness above all as you walk through clouds of coughs. Daycares for nurses, but only memes for food workers 
as we are considered essential, but essentially non-essential. Thank yous and tips of the hat clouded by an empty tip jar and a request to place food not just curbside, but on the curb as the unwashed pavement is deemed safer than taking a box or a bag from the hands of the person who just filled it. Between claims that this is overblown and claims that we should close our doors, the hours either creep by empty and dead or overflow with production. Between fears of getting sick at work and financial fears for staying home, my eyes either creep by empty and dead or overflow with production. Boy, that poem, like so many in this collection, really brings back that time. Um, As we talked about before we went on air, Angie and I were a couple where I was going out every day as an essential worker, um, working for, we'll leave it at a very well-known food company, (laughs) uh, going from store to store. And I really appreciate being appreciated. uh, And this feels sincere, the way this poem is written. At the time, there was a, a need for people to keep working and people to keep eating. The way that our culture appreciated us, the essential workers, felt very insincere, I can say. Um, there would be a segment that would be thanking the essential workers or bang pots and pans together for us. And then they would go to the next segment and you'd see a celebrity saying how hard it was to stay at home in their mansion. <laughs> and something along the lines of uh, everybody's staying at home. And so it felt like to watch that, come home and watch that, it's like, well, they thanked us in one segment, and by the very next segment, we had disappeared, and everyone's at home. But, of course, everybody wasn't at home. Uh, Also, the idea of being a toxic, we need you to bring us food, but you're also toxic, and I don't want to be around you because you may have the virus, uh, really brings back some, some memories and feelings for me. And, Christina, I would say I really, I love a good prose poem, too. And there's such alliteration in here, and I like the anaphora, I see you, I see you, I see you. Um, But when you were reading, like, the sexy plexi, or the plexi very sexy, like, there's music here. I don't know how you feel about alliteration, but I am uh, a big fan of alliteration. I I don't know why you chose this poem necessarily, but those are things that stick out to me. I think that, you know, in thinking about prose poetry, um, you know, people who write prose poetry and people who are sort of drawn to it, you know, it's more than just prose on the page formatted differently to be a poem. Mm-hmm. And so that the sounds of it um, and the way it's constructed and the way it's, it's concision speaks to a different kind of communication than prose that would be used for just sharing information Mm -hmm. or just used in a narrative, not that prose poems don't have that as well. Mm -hmm. And I think this poem, if you read it on the page, there's also phrases that are linked together by hyphens, like hardly keeping it together, Mm -hmm. hardware store worker. And so um, there's musicality in those lines, but there's also ways in which the nouns pile up on each other to become more powerful or more impactful mm-hmm. in their in their building that that make it work in addition to the the way the first four stanzas begin I see you I see you right um, and to go back to to Devin's point that I see you there were all of these moments where we appreci- appreciated essential workers 
but it it needs it needs and needed to go beyond a, a display that was sometimes simply display and didn't move into the next step, yeah. which was asking people to be out in public and and potentially um, exposing themselves, which the poem speaks to as well, mm-hmm. and also being away from their families when their families maybe needed them, right. or protecting their own health when perhaps they needed to protect their own health. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes the the appreciative gesture is instead of something else that would have been more meaningful or more helpful. And I think as the pandemic wore on, we started to see that a little bit yeah. more a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well and, put. Yeah. Um, if you had been in the back rooms of grocery stores listening to the conversations as the thing wore on, people knew that their company was putting up record sales. So it was not just that they continued to work, but they were working harder than ever to keep up with the demand in the grocery world. Uh, so the profits were astronomical yeah. um, pretty much across the board. So that And that didn't always make the, uh, the nightly news. So I appreciate you saying that about um, people deserved more. Um, I can tell you my experience probably parallels a lot of essential workers. I, I myself became part of the great resignation uh, <laughs> at a certain point, I just uh, had taken all I could. I want to segue a little bit from this piece, Christina, to here in Devin and I focus in Madison Bookbeat, kind of on this intersection of poetry and history. And um, and obviously, like, this captures a particular time, and, and, and it came out last spring, this collection. I really like how we time travel in these poems. Could you say a little bit something about how how did this collection come together before we have you read more poems? Sure. Um, so one of the one of the editors, um, Kathleen Surley, was really a driving force behind this collection. She's a member of Wisconsin Fellowship of Poets, and she wanted to be engaged in working on an anthology. And this idea was really uh, at its inception hers. And then she asked for help um, from some other members of the fellowship and just sort of threw this idea out there and said, you know, could we do an anthology on this? And if so, how could we work together on this? Um, and I, ha- I, I really enjoy this kind of work, um, this sort of managing editor kind of project management behind the scenes work. Mm. I think that, um, that utilizing my organizational skills is a good way to assist others in, in helping projects happen. And so I, I just replied right away and said, I would love to help. Let's get going on this. Um, you know, a beautiful Excel spreadsheet, I think, is, is a lovely thing. And so I, I can help <laughs> with those things um, when other people wish to do the other kind of work. And so Kathleen and I started talking um, and decided that having a team of editors would be a really great idea. Mm. So um, we brought in Bruce, Bruce Stefflison, who's a former Wisconsin Poet Laureate, mm-hmm. and then Angela Voris-Hills. And so um, those two with Kathleen were the, the editorial group. Having a group of editors read is, who have different aesthetics, different styles, different sort of interests, I also think is is a good model for doing this kind of work because mm-hmm. they're going to respond to poems in different ways as they surely did. And that idea of um, a poetry anthology that documents those times we were in was really a, a primary goal of this collection. It's also worth noting that it was 
during the early days of the pandemic. And I think the poems reflect that it was during the early days of the pandemic oh, yeah. as opposed to the later days. And I think you can really read that in a number of the poems yes, as well. Yes, because this, was, this, this collection came out pre-vaccine, which is in the collection Correct. too. Uh, it did take us back. I think we should have you read some more poems. Yeah. Um, there's a poem in your collection called This Month, and I understand its writer has recently won an award that you can tell us about. Uh, would you mind reading that one? Absolutely. Okay, so this poem, it's actually sort of three poems that work together, and they are uh, Ahe Lee's poems. And in exciting news, he just has a new book that was selected by uh, Tupelo Press. And I think that announcement just came out um, yesterday that her new book is going to be coming out with Tupelo Press, which is really, really exciting. She has a wonderful chapbook out from, I believe, Bull City as well. But um, that really good news just came out for her yesterday. And, and her poetry is, is really wonderful. If you're not familiar with it, um, your listeners should definitely check out her work. This poem, there are sort of three on the page, and each one is called This Month. So I'll just read This Month each time I begin the new one. Also, each of them sort of has some chunks that kind of skip down the page. And with the last one in particular, it's not exactly clear what order you need to read them in, which is, I think, kind of interesting to think about poems that resist being read in only one way. Mm -hmm. So this month, panic wiped out all the toilet paper in the country. My husband and I have three roles left. We hunt. We succeed after four tries, different days and locations. We finally find two single-ply rolls at a Walgreens and are humbled by the joy. I tell him I don't understand. I thought this was a first-world country. You are wrong, he says, clearing a strand of hair from my cheek and replacing it with a kiss. This is a third-world country with a few who are very, very rich. This month, my parents, aunt, and in-laws in Korea think of us. A package of scolding for not being prepared enough. A package of hand-drawn diagrams for hand-sewn masks. A package of fashionable gingham cloth masks and filters. The U.S. government thinks of us, too. They close visa offices and store away green cards. But it doesn't affect you anymore. You're okay, a friend says when I tell her what's happening. I want to say, yes, you're right. I want to say our pasts, our futures, are those people we call strangers. I want to say everything will be all right. This month, the toilet paper is back in stock. The university has sent out its email about reopening. At the lake, at the park, inside stores, naked mouths. I place an arm over my husband's sleeping shoulder tonight as well. He'll go work at the supermarket tomorrow again. I squeeze my eyes shut as if the strength of my prayer depended on the sincerity of my eyelids. It's been a while since I've stopped praying for safety. I ask for courage, for neither of us to stop at sorrow. It's not like I don't understand this kind of fear the fear of naming a pandemic into reality. I too have veiled myself with the dark side of my hands to hide from myself. But like this, how do we heal? 
I pull a chair to the window. This is the fifth sunrise I've seen this month before exhausting myself back into bed. In this early hour of spiders remaking their nets in defiance of yesterday's rain, the clouds wrap their soft mouths around pale vermilion lights and flare. It's so holy it hurts. That is a beautiful reading, Christina. Thank you. Such a beautiful poem and such visuals. I want to ask you, uh, what role has poetry played in the pandemic for you? I, I find that I think in poetry. Okay. And I think that whatever is going on in my life, especially when there are things in my life, and I think the pandemic was one of them for lots of different reasons, whether it's wondering how I'm going to connect with students that um, I might not be able to interact with in the ways I'm used to, Mm -hmm. or understanding that my students, um, my friends, my family members are dealing with things that are difficult. I'm dealing with things that are difficult and we're maybe not able to connect, whatever the difficult things are. I think that I often turn to writing in general, but poetry more than prose, um, more than stories, to try to articulate on the page what it is I'm trying to understand. And I I think I saw a a tweet recently, and I, I wish I remembered who said it now, that poetry is a way of writing what's unsayable often. Mm. Um, And I think that somehow I articulate first in poetry what I'm maybe not able to say to myself. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the pandemic and a lot of things that happened during that, whether it's dealing with very real and immediate loss, which I think is what a lot of people have been dealing with, Mm -hmm. um, whether that's actual loss of people, I think also loss of relationships. I think that a lot of us have experienced that in very real ways. For me, finding a way to get that down Mm -hmm. is what I do in poetry. As a poet, I have found myself on the page. That's how I define myself, through poetry. So what you say does really resonate with me. And I want to say Devin's the son of a poet. Um, So he and I have this relationship with poetry that goes way back. When you mentioned loss, one of the ways I've thought about it as it went on, early on we were saying things like, you know, hopefully this is over before the first summer, right? Nobody knew how long it was going to last. But I feel like everybody's also mourning the way that they pictured their life going. A lot of people had to abandon plans or... Uh, In the case of my niece, she missed her senior year of high school, which is a big year. Um, So there's a mourning of what life's potential could be Mm -hmm. until this thing is over, Uh, including all the stages, you know, people acting out or angry about it or sad. So, yeah, that's how the idea of loss hit me. Should we have another poem? Well, we should always have another poem. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the last poem. <laughs> the, the best thing about this show, Christine, is that as a poet, you get to read and read and read, and it's glorious to have such a, a long, expansive time. Um, Did you find yourself uh, staying productive? I found myself in a bit of a brain fog at times, especially that first summer. There was almost too much to process to feel like I could put words down. Uh, But it sounds like you were working it out on the page. Is that true? I I have to recognize how how very privileged I was during the pandemic in so many ways in that my work 
you know, was able to move um, to, to remote and I was able to to keep doing that. And I have to say that, that my work, my writing work is so inspired by my teaching and my interactions with my students that that, that was able to be quite seamless. And then, you know, with more time, I, I just sort of started reading my dog. Oh. <laughs> so we had like, for the first few months, we had, um, we had daily poetry reading sessions um, on the couch. Um, she's a, she's a human sized dog. She's a St. Bernard Mastiff mix. Oh, nice. okay. And so she would just sit next to me and I would just read her poems <laughs> for, for, you know, uh, 20 to 30 minutes a day. She's a wonderful listener. Oh. Um, and so I was, I was really lucky to be able to do that. I like that mental picture yeah, of that's, you. <laughs> that's a lovely image. Yeah. Well, I gotta She's say, great I got a cat. Audience. If I read poetry, and I often do when I'm um, editing in my room, he runs. He comes running. Um, he moves towards the sounds. He does. He, yeah. he does. Animals and poetry. They know reading voice. They uh-huh. do. different yeah. than talking voice. <laughs> they do. And they come running. There's a. I have a picture of my cat listening to the poet. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Jake Skeets, who's reading, and uh, my cat's intently listening. It's, it's a beautiful scene. We should have you read another poem. Devin, you want to pull one from the list? Sure. This book really does a great job of bringing back um, the early pandemic days. Not that maybe people always want to go back there, um, but one that did so on page 69 by Jill Madden Melquar, The Summer mm-hmm. of the Pandemic. It was all falling apart. It was all coming together. Hmm. Absolutely. It's a great title, too. Yeah, it sure is. So that summer of the pandemic, it was all falling apart. It was all coming together. It's after eight in the evening, and in this antique light, the Queen Anne's lace along the roads watches the sinking sun. Hundreds of tatted blooms close up like praying hands, like thousands of empty teacups drained and set upon the sideboard of the day. In the morning, they'll open again to catch the brewing day, the sun steeping over the edge of Lake Michigan. But that is all to come, and nothing is guaranteed, least of all tomorrow morning. And so I ride on. Tonight, it is still warm as I pedal past the green-risen pastures, spread unevenly with buttered light, the shadowed cemetery with tombstones like stale biscuits rising from the earth. The Beagle Club, where old men sit in lawn chairs in the driveway and wave to me, and the beagles throw their heads back and howl. Tonight, I am that empty, weathered barn leaning toward the road, full to bursting of the last of the honeyed light that seeps through the gaps. I am filled up with the space that useful things have left behind, my wooden bones echoing with the far-off sound barking dogs. I have said my prayers. I have again and again drained my cup, and if it is not filled again, if the sun does not rise for me, I can only open what is shut. I can only come crashing down and let loose the light. Oh, it's a lovely piece. That summer of the pandemic, it was all falling apart, it was all coming together. What I love is in the first stanza, some of the the imagery, um, the tatted blooms. Mm -hmm. Uh, The word tatted Mm. makes me think of of my grandmother who tatted. And the empty teacups drained Mm -hmm. upon the sideboard of the day Mm -hmm. makes me think of those kitchens that, again, I picture grandmothers moving through. Mm -hmm. I picture like the old farmhouse sink. 
that the day is brewing, that the sun is steeping. Yes. You know, I picture all of those sort of domestic interiors mm-hmm. that that are moved through by, um, again, a generation or two removed from me, the women of those generations. And it's it's those metaphors, that imagery that makes me think of their work. Yes, the antique-like, the Queen Anne's lace. That's beautiful. Tatted is not a word you see quite often, so there's really good diction in this piece. They keep coming back to the light. Mm-hmm. So much good stuff in here. My wooden bones echoing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think light should always be buttered. Oh. I'm a big fan of butter. <laughs> I think that, you know, I'm not a margarine person. I, oh, I get no. I'm a full-fat person. Oh, yes. So I like that light is buttered. Yes, I'm with you. Full butter, full <laughs> fat, full Greek yogurt. No, life is too short. Uh, such a good piece. Um, when you were putting this together, you had your three editors and you're the managing editor. Did you have a say in the pieces? Did you select these? Uh, I think folks don't quite understand what a managing editor is. Sure. So largely our three editors chose, you know, they had they had a sort of a voting system that they worked around. Um, and uh, sort of they, they came up with sort of a rating system for the, the poems as they came in that sort of leaned toward, you know, two of the three yeses would move them pretty much into the yes, the yes column. And then at the end, we kind of looked at the overall shape. And then I made a few suggestions at the, at the end, kind of, and we talked about the kind of the totality of the, of the collection to maybe think, you know, would we like a few more of a particular kind of poem or do we have a lot of poems that speak to a particular kind of topic maybe? Mm-hmm. And would we like to bring in a, some that speak to something else that, you know, maybe there were poems that came in that talked to something, but not many of them arrived mm-hmm. um, in the final batch. So we had a final conversation about that. Mm-hmm. One of the things I did as managing editor that made work perhaps a little bit easier for the editors who worked primarily to choose the poems is I managed, you know, when submissions came in, I took the names off the submissions so that they were all read anonymously. Mm. I handled the communications with the poets, you know, yes, we got your poem, we're reading and we'll get back to you around this date. Yes, we we've accepted your poem or, you know, it's not the right fit for this. It just takes a lot of pressure off the readers so they can really focus on engaging with the work Mm -hmm. and not doing some of the housekeeping type work and the logistical type work. Um, I also, you know, when they would have comments or, um, you know, voting on on sort of the pieces, we think this would be a good piece versus we we think this piece wouldn't work as well. You know, I just kept all of that organized and communicated between them. So, again, they can just really focus on reading the work and not worry about the organizational pieces and the logistical pieces. Um, It just makes life a little bit easier. It does. And I think about the art of curation, having edited a few collections, it really matters how they are put together. Um, And I'm wondering now, as you've been talking, how you constructed it. Like, I know different pieces, but um, was, did you have an arc? I mean, can you say anything about that? Sure. So after all the poems came in, then we started to have those conversations about, you know, do we want to group them thematically? Do we want to think, um, you know, sort of uh, in terms of an arc? Um, how did we want to do that? And and in the end, after we put them together in sort of 
alphabetical order, we, we thought that that arc worked quite well with just a few small changes. Um, so we did think about sort of what would be the first poems and what would be the grouping of the last poem. And we made a few small changes there, but largely we found that the simplest order was the best order, and so we predominantly went in alphabetical order. I noticed that, and I was so intrigued that that came together so well. Yeah. It it was perhaps luck, but it really did. Again, it, with just a few small changes, it really did work very well. Hmm. The other thing we really thought about is we were very excited to have uh, Wendy Vardaman um, do yes. artwork for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we absolutely loved uh, the cover art. And then we asked her if she would be interested in perhaps doing some interior artwork for us that's uh, black and white. And so she created all of that work specifically for this volume. And that was another sort of piece or another decision that we made in putting it together is where were we going to insert that artwork? How was it going to interact with the poems that came immediately before and after? So that was another piece that once we collected the, the poems, we sort of made decisions about where that artwork was going to sort of fit in and how it spoke to the poems that came on the facing page or immediately after. Wendy Vardaman, for our listeners, was a former Madison Poet Laureate uh, prior to me, a couple couple sessions before, a series before me. But um, she is a fine artist and poet, and I really appreciated the cover and how beautiful it is. And I noticed the artwork and um, it's not often you find artwork in a poem, in a poetry collection like this. But, um, and yeah. Thank goodness she didn't decide to portray the coronavirus, that horrible <laughs> ball with all the no, little things sticking off I don't, it. I hate I, looking at that. I don't think we need to do that. <laughs> I feel like we should have you read another poem, Christina. Do you have a favorite one that you really want to read? Because I know we want to talk about new projects in addition to this collection. Um, and I want to make sure that we, if you have a, fa- a burning desire to read a particular piece, that we don't overlook that. I, I, I've really liked a number of the ones we've read. Um, so I, I don't I don't know that I would. Okay. Um, yeah, had... I, I don't know that I'd have another one to, to okay. throw in. I, I really liked a lot of the choices that you suggested. Okay. Good. We've had you read some of the longer ones. Um, maybe we could do a couple shorter Sure. Um, sure. So on page 49, there's one called Contemplation, uh, if you wouldn't mind reading that. Sure. Um, and it is, uh, I, I think, so this is Jeffrey Johannes' poem, and I believe it's part of a series. So this one is his Contemplation 14. Um, and it does start with an epigraph, What is the News Tonight? Um, so last night, my friend in Minneapolis sat on a lawn chair in his yard drinking tea. It was his turn to watch over the neighborhood in the wild darkness. Ash in the wind, flames just blocks away the voices of crickets. Mm. I know this is referring to uh, the aftermath of uh, the murder of George Floyd. And um, I had poet friends in that area at the time. And I remember that. And it brought it back, you know, what we went through. It's not just the pandemic, but the unrest and... Felt, that, felt like uh, the country was on fire for a while. Really evokes the feeling of sitting in your yard, yeah. which many of us were confined to, mm-hmm. uh, and it's relatively serene where you are, but you know that outside in the world, crazy things are happening. So mm-hmm. that, yeah, that really brought it out for me. Um, do you want to say any more about that writer? Um, so I think that in the 
project being a, um, a joint project between Ben Paddle and, and Wisconsin Fellowship of Poets. Um, it was exciting to be able to see a number of poets who have been really a part of the fellowship of Wisconsin Fellowship of Poets. And if, if people aren't aware, we're sort of a we're a statewide organization that is a long-running organization that does a whole bunch of projects, um, but really has at its heart this idea of fellowship of poets gathering together. And um, Jeffrey is one of those poets who has been a long time part of that fellowship. And so it was really wonderful in the volume that resulted to see names that we, you know, that we know because we gather together as poets and talk poetry. And, and then also to see, as in um, Calissa Davis, who was the, one of the first, po- the first poem I read, you know, new voices coming into the volume. Mm-hmm. And so as a, as a volume of Wisconsin Poets, it was just really sort of wonderful to see that mix um, of, you know, names that we might have seen before and then also provide this platform for, for poets, at least I hadn't met yet on the page, which was one of my joys in doing this project. Nice. We, we should mention to our listeners, uh, in case they're tuning in and they're wondering what's going on, um, we are uh, Madison Bookbeat, and we are talking with Christina Kubasta on the collection Sheltering with Poems, Community and Connection During COVID. And I also am so glad you brought up Wisconsin Fellowship of Poets because they're so integral to the scene here in Wisconsin, and we have so many fine poets here. But I would also like you to talk a little bit about Bent Paddle Press um, and your other projects you have going on as well. So Bent Bent Paddle Press is a uh, small press that is facilitated, run by uh, Steve and Jeannie Tomasco, and um, they do a number of different kinds of projects. This one, our partnership, we we actually used a printer out of Minneapolis and used print on demand. It was a way to be able to create the volume and print more when we needed and sort of do it at lower cost. But Bent Paddle does some beautiful, beautiful books with, um, you know, letterpress, uh, you know, original artwork, stamped covers, mm. just gorgeous, gorgeous artwork integrated into it as well. And so if you go and look at their at their website, uh, Bed Paddle Press, you will just see a, a great variety of uh, poetry uh, books published, some that integrate art on the page with poems, again, some really beautiful um, stamped covers with foil work, mm. um, sort of different kinds of layouts. Steve does the layout. He did the layout for sheltering. Um, it's some gorgeous kind of unexpected layouts that you wouldn't expect to see. Little books that are very different than the kind of work that you see at more traditional publishers, more mainstream publishers, mm-hmm. um, both chapbooks and full-length books. And so they're a gem of a small publisher here in Wisconsin as well. That's wonderful. That is, And I really like the... Um, you mentioned the the one of the folks in there, and he has a what looks like a Facebook post that's a poem in here, which I thought was really funny. Oh yes, <laughs> I think it's a it's like a text from his brother. Okay, Steve's poem is that the one you mean? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I just you know you're reading along, and then all of a sudden you see this little box, which I found to be very charming. Um, and Steve's poetry is charming. He has a wonderful love poem that's about a sloth. His, his oh. voice is just charming. <laughs> yeah. I've never read a love poem about a sloth, and now I'm really curious. Yes. I'll have to there look it go. up. Yes. 
The slow, sensuous so, movements of the sloth. Yes. There you, there you go. Now you're going to be picturing it. Yeah. You've got you to read the poem. So uh, one of the other projects that, um, that I'm excited about, where I also serve as managing editor, so here again is my sort of behind-the-scenes work, is um, Bramble is a poetry journal that um, Wisconsin Fellowship of Poets started, um, I believe we started in 2016. So I'm the founding editor and then the managing editor of Bramble. And so if you go to WFOP.org, you can find out a lot more about Wisconsin Fellowship of Poets, but you'll also see a tab there for Bramble Lit Mag. Um, That's also where you could go if you'd like to find, if you'd like to order Sheltering with Poems, although I have to say we are almost sold out of our second um, print run, which is really exciting. Congratulations. But yes. Yes. Um, although people might be starting to think that they want to read about something other than the pandemic, to be fair, or w- write about something other than the pandemic. I would imagine you're in some libraries, too, Christina, with this collection, right? We are. We okay. are. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Bramble Lit Mag um, is, we're excited about because it is a platform. Um, we're both uh, web mag, and then we also publish in print. And we are specifically for Wisconsin poets, Wisconsin poetry. And then we're really excited about our covers where we feature um, a Wisconsin artist for the most part or an artist who has, um, in a couple cases, roots in Wisconsin, although they might not be living here right now. Okay. And so um, we invite all poets uh, who are Wisconsin poets to submit to Bramble. We publish three times a year. We use a guest editor each Um, issue has a different guest editor and the reason we do that is again it's a project of the fellowship Um, and in doing so we my aesthetic might not be everyone's aesthetic which is why I'm not the editor all the time so we cycle through different guest editors so that Bramble can reflect a diversity of styles a diversity of aesthetics um, and really represent sort of the fullness of Wisconsin poetry. So we're actually reading right now. Um, our submissions close on 515, and we tend to have a different kind of focus or a theme with most of ours. So right now we're really interested in, um, oh, I'm sorry, this is going to air after 515. Never mind. No, no, go um, ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. But, but right now we're reading, we're, we're loving to read letter poems or poems that are, are to something, um, epistolary forms, forms that we, you know, your, your tweet poems, anything that's sort of a take on the letter. Our last issue, um, which was guest edited by Sylvia Cavanaugh, mm-hmm. that's, uh, the one that's up right now as our current, had a, food, a theme of food, appetite, desire, um, and that had some beautiful cover art um, by, um, um, he's, he actually just won a statewide award for a K-12 art educator. Mm. Um, the cover art for that one was um, Frank Juarez. He's, a, he's an educator in Sheboygan, okay. and he, he just won the state award for K-12 art. Um, so we love featuring Wisconsin uh, artists on the cover, Wisconsin poets and Wisconsin poetry, um, and we publish three times a year, both print and web. I love the community that you're making, Christina, and the connections. And you bring up Wisconsin Fellowship of Poets, which for folks, it's a member org, and it also has a student uh, rate as well. But um, And you talk about poetry being having guest editors. It reminds me of democracy and diversity of thought and opinion and styles. And 
it is really beautiful that you're making all this and you teach and you have um, a love for your students. So how do you balance all of this, the managing, the writing, the teaching, um, and your own creative process? For me, I think they feed each other. So it's not so much a question of, of balancing. It's that they, you know, rather they, they actually sort of improve each other. Um, I, I, am, I write more, uh, quite frankly, certainly poetry. Prose, sometimes I need, if I'm working on a short story or a novel, I do need a little more time. But when it comes to poetry, I tend to write more poetry when I'm teaching because, you know, something that happens in class will be inspired by, mm-hmm. it will inspire a poem. Um, I'm teaching poetry. Um, a student will have a brilliant thing to say about a particular mm. piece of literature we're reading or an author, and that gets me thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, or their project. You know, when I'm teaching creative writing, I tend to do the exercises alongside my students. Mm-hmm. And so that's always got me creating. Mm-hmm. So I think that the more ways we create community and that we're in community also redounds on us and inspires us. So as opposed to seeing that taking away from my creative time, I think that that actually adds to my creative time. I'm with you. When I teach poetry, if I give students an exercise, I usually participate um, Mm -hmm. because it's a moment for me as well. And I have to ask you a question about your own work because I'm just curious from a poet's point of view. How many edits do your poems go through? Um, Well, that's a hard question because what do you mean by many and what do you mean by edits? Well, (laughs) so I I practice first thought, best thought, but I always edit. Um, There's only Mm -hmm. two poems in my whole life that came out full born. But um, I have a long process and I really love the editing. Like the inspiration's easy, but the editing is where I I really enjoy getting into the nitty gritty and color coding sounds and just, you know, writing all the beats down. So I'm just curious about your process for editing your own work. I, I would say that that probably any given poem goes through maybe 15 or 20. And then when I read it aloud to an audience, I realize how many more I need to go. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean reading to my dog because she right. loves everything I do. <laughs> I mean, when I get yes. up and read it in front of people, then I, then I hear, yeah. no matter how many times I've read it aloud to myself, then I hear every moment of awkwardness or glitch that's still in there, and I need to go back and do it many more. I 100% agree with you. When I teach, I say your, a poem isn't done until you've read it to people outside of your home or your dining room or your animals or your partner, because it changes when you read it aloud to people, like at a reading or at an open mic. It's it's part of my process, too. So it's really good to hear you say that, because sometimes I think I've become obsessed and I don't know when to let go sometimes, but... Uh, yeah. It sounds like you're saying obsession in this case is a bad thing. Well, you, you know. well, I mean, I have a room of my own, and my books go on my wall, and that's how I edit, and I look at the inner architecture, but I could just, like, geek out on that for days, and that's me. Yeah. yeah. But I enjoy it, and it sounds like you enjoy the process, too. Speaking of which, um, we do have the writer of a poem that appears... Uh, on page 100 called Morning. Morning ends with a caw. As a special guest, uh, the host, (laughs) my wife Angie, Madison's Poet Laureate, will read hers. So, Christine, I really appreciate this poem in here because it's such an odd poem. And for the people who can't see, and forgive me for reading when it should be all about you, 
but it's morning as in M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, then morning as in good morning. Morning ends with a ka. We lost those paper boys that summer. Safety flags dashed. No bottom of the well to cradle you for the rescue. They vanished. Before, it was just us girls, mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, cousins, cling to empty hands. At the bus stop before school, a slow car invoked a mad pelt toward neighbor bushes, a blue spruce, a fence's slim slat protection. The Hammond organ pounds the glass with its black and white keys. I drink coffee on my deck while the world burns below. Metallic beetles clamp geranium leaves, species from another planet, fugitives in disguise, scarlet head, eyes. Little guy next door cannot speak. Mother chain smokes hatching, shares her cigarette, fingertips to lips, wrist handoff, pregnant together, remote. There is sound and silence, she thinks. Now marigold is the color of hope, and she trusts in dandelions, sunflowers, the sun pasteurizing, butter, its salty forever taste, banana pudding, our dessert most meals, a quick whip, steak night, brilliant, knife and fork divine kid bites. To turn the channel, use pliers, dear. Salad days, garden prayers, us as little girls, who knew we had it easy? Yellow, my season of color, snapdragons, gold car, Summer shoulder sweaters slip at a concert, fall to the grounds. Two wheels christen asphalt. Chica sail on the street. Pink neon streamers surrender. Braids spiral in their hair. Rabbit squirrels haunt the bird feeder. Deck yoga. Oak branches overhead. A craw cause obsidian. Splits the green. I appreciate that being in there because that is an odd poem, but I, I would very much like to hear you read because you're such a beautiful reader and we have time. And so I'm going to have my husband here make a selection, if you don't mind. Of course. So. And I, I would just like to say, I, Angie, I, yeah. I enjoy odd. Okay. What I, what I like most about poetry is poetry that surprises me. Yes. That is unexpected. Um and, you know, both in its imagery and on the page and, and so, you know, the gaps mm-hmm. that are sort of forced into the lines here, I, I just have to say that that is what I most enjoy about poetry is that it continues to surprise. I love it when it surprises me and I love a good Sejura in an M-dash. I'm just a big mm-hmm. fan of those. Yes. Yes. So uh, another relatively short one in the collection is called Hot Rain 3 uh, mm-hmm. by Heather Hanlon. Uh, would you share that one with us? I'm just flipping to the page. I know I'm marked. Oh, there we go. Hot Rain 3. So this is also part of a series. I just want to point out if you run across Hot Rain 1 and 2 because they exist as well. Um, oh, and I love this one. Um, Hot Rain 3. I saw the heartbeat of my baby from Mm. behind a face mask without a partner. My husband watched through his phone and couldn't make out the new sound or image. The heartbeat looked playful and pretend and felt similarly pretend since there was no one to tell in fear of miscarriage and no one to see in fear of COVID-19. But there we were, two of us in a body, curling our fingerprints, 
around what we can touch and learning to wait piece by piece, cell by cell, blood by blood for the next small thing to change. Mm. That, that is such a good piece. That last line is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, the experience of, of reading these poems, whether it was when they first came in and we read them or revisiting them now, is that, you know, um, in Jeffrey Johannes's poem, there was that, you know, sitting in that lawn chair in the, the backyard and feeling isolated from knowing how many things important things are going on in the world, right? Mm -hmm. And also feeling isolated from what's going on in the household next door Mm -hmm. and feeling isolated from, you know, you know, your best friend's going through something, you know, but you can't, you can't touch them. You can't, you know, you know, but you, but you don't know. And, Mm -hmm. you know, this, this moment in this poem, um, you know, this is happening and, and, you know, you're apart from your partner, but also you're, you're not going to tell anybody yet. And maybe you wouldn't anyway, but also maybe you really won't right, right. now either. Right. Um, all of the, the small and large ways that we were maybe extra isolated or extra insulated from each other because mm-hmm. by necessity we needed to be. Mm-hmm. And here we are going through this massive thing collectively, globally, and these poems bring us together, like they truly are creating community. And that poem brings tears to my eyes because, well, life is rather precious. And uh, the way the poet describes it is so beautiful. What was the name of that poet? The poet Heather is Hanlon. Heather Hamlin. Heather Hamlin. Okay. Do you want to say anything about her? So she was also a poet who was new to me um, when I when I first read these. Uh, submissions that came in, although since I've now run across her. So again, another way of creating community, right, is that I was introduced to all these new poets through this anthology, and now I see them when they pop up again. Um, Either, you know, they might share some poems with Bramble, or I might run across them, you know, in another publication. But my, my world and my reading has expanded through this work, too, which you know, it's lovely, I think. I'm glad for it at any rate. Yeah. I don't know if people understand what it is to publish other people's work, how much joy it is in mm-hmm. bringing new voices or bringing um, a collective voices together from all different backgrounds into one collection. Like, that. that's really beautiful work and important. I was just going to say, it feels strange to, to think like, oh, I, I know that poet. I mean, I don't know that poet in mm-hmm. any way, but but it is, an, it is a, you know, a, a friendly and an intimate thing to think, oh, oh, I remember that line you wrote. Yes. You know, you do feel as if you've, you've had an experience alongside when you read a poem like that or any of these poems that we've shared, something meaningful, um, and you've experienced it through their language and through their depiction of experience. Well, we are almost at the end of our time, and Devin would like you to read one more poem. Sure. I would just say for people listening, you know, if you're if you're looking for a community or a place to share your work, that there are so many wonderful opportunities to do that in Wisconsin, in in your in your your municipality, your city, your state, um, and either through a podcast like this, you can find out about them. There are also just you know at, at 
at Wisconsin Fellowship of Poets, we do have lists by region where where readings are, you know, so whether it's publication, something like Sending to Bramble, but also just if you want to get out there and, and share your voice and find a community, whether through virtual readings or in-person readings, um, we really do try to share information about those spaces because I think often just, just finding people to share your voice with um, can can be a, a really wonderful place to start or a place maybe to get back into if you've been not finding those places or have been feeling a little more isolated yeah. sort of throughout this time we've been in together. That's wonderful. That's very in keeping with the spirit of what we're trying to do. So mm-hmm. appreciate that. Um, so uh, thank you so much for being here. This is a great collection, Sheltering with Poems, Community and Connection During COVID. And again, where can people get a copy while they last? So if you go to WFOP.org, um, we do have just a few copies left. And if you go to our store, you can click on the link there and find it. Um, that's also a great place to go to find out any other information. And do check out Bramble while you're there as well. Okay. Um, So we're going to ask you to read one more short one. Um, Thank you again for being here, and it's on page 79. It's entitled Anxiety. Okay. And tell us whatever you know about the writer. So I, again, I know this writer on the page and through email. We have not met in person yet, um, I don't think. Um, But I I feel like I've read a number of uh, her poems so far. So it's Elizabeth Harmodus Parks, um, and it is called Anxiety. Um, so here's a anxiety. If you have no pill to take, you'll have to do whatever you can. So start by washing your face, then brush your teeth, comb your hair, do a few chores, just the easy ones. Make the bed, take out the trash. Be sure to open a window or two for fresh air, whatever the weather. Put on some easy listening music. Crooners and swing works well too. Sit down in a comfortable chair. Open the dog-eared, brittle pages of your mother's old prayer book. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Christina. You have been listening to Madison Bookbeat. Stay tuned this afternoon for All About Jazz with Alex Welding White. The Insurgent Radio Kiosk is up next. I've been your host, Angie Trudell Vasquez. And I'm Devin Trudell. Keep it tuned here to Community Radio, WORT 89.9 FM Madison. Special thanks to Sparkhammer Music for our theme song.